0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Hello and welcome to another Wessex LMC's podcast. Uh, My name is Dr. Laura Edwards. I'm a GP and one of the joint CEOs of Wessex LMC's and I'm joined today by Will Howard. Hi, Will.
1: Hi there. Thanks for asking me along, Laura.
0: (laughs) Will is one of our medical director team here. And um, we are trying something new today. So we have a fantastic newsletter, which uh, many of you read and uh, feedback to us that you find really, really helpful. Um, But we do appreciate that you're all busy and there is a finite amount of love for your inbox and the emails that you will find therein. So we're keeping up with modern times and we do lots of podcasts, hopefully many of you are subscribers to our channel. And we're hoping that by verbalising the newsletter um, that this might provide another way uh, for people to listen uh, listening get the news that they want and access our information in an easy way so this is uh, episode number 1 of our newsletter and uh, this is referring to the newsletter that was released on the 22nd uh, of September 2023 So um, slightly ironically for something that really should be a a celebration, uh, we started off in our newsletter with an introduction that is actually focused around death. Um, So Andy started off with a, a quote from Terry Pratchett, who is no longer with us, saying no one is actually dead until the ripples they cause in the world die away. Um, I work in another role as a medical examiner and I would echo that death is actually a really, really profound experience but also a very complicated and complex um, experience and that is not only from the emotional and bereavement point of view but actually also um, from the processes point of view and that is not only for the bereaved but also actually for all of us in the system that are trying to help people through that Um, so Andy reflects here uh, on his own personal experience um, and then he links that to an event that we are putting on in November which is trying to help people so it's called Demystifying Death Certification and it will be on the 9th of November run at the Coroner's Court in Bournemouth and it will be going through all sort of aspects of that complexity and involving um, updates around medical examiners, the coroners and how they work, registration services involving the MDOs, the the GP uh, perspective and bereavement support so we'd love to see you there Um, do go onto our website, wessexlmcs.com and look under our education and event section and then you can book them so uh, from there we move to something that um uh, that also causes an emotional reaction but in quite a different way will What's next yeah, thanks. Be thanks for
1: the cheerful start to this, this new trial of our podcasting. Um, I think we hope that you're going to enjoy this on a dog walk, but maybe hopefully don't focus too much on the opening topic while you're walking your dog. <laughs> um, and I'm going to move us on to the cheerful subject of the COVID-19 vaccination programme and also talking about flu vaccinations as well. Headline for the flu vaccinations is actually go to our top tips page. It's, it's I know practice managers really um, look forward to receiving our flu top tips updates and, and worth noting that that is regularly updated. As soon as NHS England decide to move the goalposts, our team are really quick at changing the flu top tips publication that's available on our website. So to ta- do take a look at that. I think most of us felt the frustration at NHS England's rollout of the COVID vaccination program oh, yes. and the change to the flu vaccination programme that occurred at rather too late a date, given that most practice managers are planning this in the springtime, possibly even the winter before um, for the following year, including making your orders for your flu vaccines. And then, of course, now the COVID vaccination programme, just to complicate matters. Um, So, in our newsletter, we talk about uh, making sure that practices uh, know how to record the flu vaccines and the COVID vaccination programs, how practices are working together in networks to deliver both flu and COVID vaccinations if they've chosen to sign up to the COVID vaccination programme. I think for clarity here, it's important to remember that they are two separate services and practices can sign up to the flu vaccination programme but not necessarily the COVID vaccination programme should they and working with their network think that the reimbursement for the COVID vaccination is not enough. But of course, as we know, things changed once, then they changed again and um, practices were offered more money to to um, accelerate their COVID vaccination programme after the first offer from NHS England was uh, rather fell on deaf ears in general practice. So um, we've had questions. We had a lot of queries about how practices should record the vaccination programme for either COVID and flu, depending on the way you'll do it. The most important message that we've heard, the bit that um, meant the most to me, was don't basically, if you're using a point of care uh, recording system, or your own in-house uh, clinical system is don't enter it twice either enter your recording of the vaccinations on one or the other but not on both is that fair to say laura
0: yeah that is the key message and i think you said use the phrase deaf ears i don't think you fell on deaf ears i think it fell on really exhausted ears and people were <laughs> fed up been taken advantage of Um, I think the the ears were very willing they just couldn't quite believe it It was a jaw-dropping thing where they just cut the price by 25% and expected everyone to be delighted about it that that there was a resounding silence wasn't it Um, because people couldn't quite believe how much they didn't value the service when everyone's been doing it so really you know tirelessly. um, I think the deaf ears um, were
1: within NHS England perhaps but. Yes um,
0: absolutely but anyway they did listen a bit Uh, they didn't call it a backtrack they just called はい a change uh, adapting to uh, new information, but anyway, we, we won't comment any further on that. Um, so yeah, don't don't unfit twice, be clear, uh, kind of where where you're putting it, and um, and we we hope all the programs go well. Um, this autumn, both both vaccination programs are really important for our population. So, thank you for your hard work. Because if NHS England doesn't recognize it, uh, we certainly do at the LMC that this is a huge undertaking, and uh, general practice is just far and away the most efficient um uh, place for this to be done we're just absolutely amazing at it which is why everyone thinks it's so easy because we're so smooth at doing it um, we make it look
1: easy we make we it make look it easy look that's easy. for sure exactly. so laurie you're going to talk right. very briefly next about um a new gpc team and, and yeah. a meeting with the uh, primary care minister
0: Absolutely. So, uh, for those of you who do or don't keep up with national politics, um, then GPC England, which is obviously our national negotiating body, uh, they've had a change in leadership. So uh, we have now got Dr. Katie Graham-Stainer, who is the uh, chair of GPC England, and uh, so she is starting with her together with her new team, and this is a chance for uh, a, a reset uh, and um, some new relationships. Uh, so she has met. So she's uh, just uh, updated us that she's met with Neil O'Brien, who is the primary care minister Uh, so she's been uh, had that opportunity to try and put across some of the things that we really need in general practice and that the government could help us with uh, if they could if they wanted to Uh, so these are things familiar to you uh, cutting bureaucracy improving gp retention and of course uh, access to patient records um, which we'll touch on in a second Uh, but also she's raised that importance of supporting practice staff health and well-being which uh, again is right at the Forefront of nearly every discussion that you and I are in will is that importance of actually having a workforce and valuing them so um okay. so that brings us neatly on to uh, access to prospective records what, what do we need to know about that and what has BMA been saying?
1: Well, uh, I think importantly is again going back to Katie Bramall-Stainer as the new chair of GPC has recognised the anxieties of the profession to the prospective switch on of automatic access to records, and um, she has written on behalf of our profession to again the undersecretaries for uh, of state for health and social care Neil O'Brien, um, who is an MP, outlining our, our concerns as a profession, and she's raised three major areas of concern. Um, And and that is one with regards to access of patients to their notes that might um, ensure that they see their medical information, including test results, and that they may lead to upset and they will become potentially distressed, increasing the risk of mental harm resulting from that distress. This will then place an increased demand on general practice out of hours on 111 and emergency departments as patients seek to support, to understand what they've read and that actually vulnerable patients' medical records may be accessed by an individual who may have control over them. So that's kind of things where we're concerned about safeguarding and where we're worried about patients and relatives of those patients having access that will be uh, harmful access where information is shared against that person's permission, where they, however, have been unable to stop that access to somebody who doesn't have permission. Yeah, um, so, so we're so, thinking
0: like coercive control type relationships, aren't we?
1: So Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think the concern here is, is that this is something that's going ahead. It is an NHS England policy, which is part of our contracts. However, um, we don't feel it's been properly thought through and that message has been made very clear to GPC on our behalf, and GPC are lobbying hard for the profession to see how this can be changed or altered as we move forward with it.
0: Yeah, it's a kind of classic again, isn't it? Of, there's a change, which you can see lots of the benefits for, and again, for the majority of people, it's it's a great thing, but it, it's a massive change, and if you were doing a massive change, you'd invest something in change management, and there's always, you know, there's always extra work around that, and there just sort of hasn't been any thought around that and all the impact. And actually, the public needs some help uh, when they do this. And they're just saying, well, GPs, you're going to fit GP practices and GPs, you're just going to fit that in alongside your normal work and it will be fine, which actually is really frustrating and unfair on both sides. Yeah. Um So I think, I think we think, agree, yeah, Laura.
1: I think we agree, Laura. It's a, it's a positive do. thing and it has a lot of power and potential to empower patients to self uh, look after their own health more effectively. But they forgot to ask the profession what are the impacts on the profession, what are the negative impacts on patients, and and here's the consequences of it, frustratingly. But I think the the greater good will come from it in the end, um, hopefully once those in power are able to uh, amend the process effectively.
0: If they listen, otherwise it's going to be, again, quite a stormy set of seas potentially as it comes in without being uh, thought through properly and without the correct safeguards in place. And I think, again, that's what's being pushed back nationally. So uh, we wait to hear, we wait to hear. That brings us on to another thing we wait to hear on, which is RAC. Uh, so rack uh, again, I, I think sometimes people go, what's RAC? Um, they'll have seen it there in the media of this reinforced autoclaved aerated concrete, uh, which of course is now uh, shortened to rack. We've seen that in the media with the schools and again of a nervy moment at that start of the school term for anyone with children of are they actually going back to school or not well obviously it's kind of public buildings and again people have started looking around and going where else could we have put this and so GP practices of course are another uh, thing another place where this might be Um, so again that hasn't missed uh, the government's uh, attention Um, and so now there there are moves to to have that check uh, done overall risk is thought to be low small numbers potentially affected um, but work needs to be done our question again comes back to and who is funding said work um, and said costs and uh, that's a very live um, issue there um, so as an LMC uh, we are very mindful that some areas are funding this uh, for GP practices and we will be working alongside our ICBs to um, try and get them to support a general practice at this time uh, when every penny counts towards making our general practice is sustainable. So we are doing that on your behalf uh, for those areas that have not uh, yet made it clear how this is to be funded. So
1: we're very much in the sort of the opening shots of this the negotiation, you might say, and there'll be more to this as time moves forward as we find out how much that I've had to Google several times what rack is, as we find out how much is actually out there. So thanks, Laura. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right, shall we talk about the DDRB recommended pay rise for salaried yeah. practice staff? So Absolutely, this, was, this is
0: scrambling along, isn't it? And people, a lot of people have asked me over the past week saying, we've heard about this 6% and where is it? It hasn't arrived in my pay packet yet. What, what's happening? What's happening? So will what is
1: happening well what's happening is is that again gpc england and the dhsc the government essentially are having a wrangle about what they actually meant so what did they actually mean when they suggested that all salary general practice staff would receive six percent uplift to their pay backdated to april of this year did they mean all GPs? Did they mean all salary GPs? Did they mean all staff? Did they mean all practice managers? Who did they really mean? Um, and I think one of the issues here is, is that we know that the uplift to the GP contract, the GMS contract, is a 2.1% for this financial year as part of the five-year settlement that was agreed. Um, and unfortunately, that therefore doesn't allow us to um, be fully funded by NHS England to pay our staff a 6% uplift to their pay. So we've got a lot of work to do to turn that 2.1% into 6% to allow us to pay our staff. Um, And I think once um, uh, NHS England had realized that they had perhaps underestimated what they had quoted, i.e. all of our staff may get a 6% backdated uplift, um, there's now needs to be a little bit of backpedaling on their part or hopefully negotiated agreement with GPC England to ensure that our salaried staff genuinely do receive 6%. So I think it's important to point out that salaried GPs um, who will have specific contracts will have a right to access a 6% pay uplift because that was what was recommended by the DDRB. There are some salaried doctors who may not have that within their contracts, and there may be other staff in your employer's partners who um, may uh, also be able to access the DDRB pay uplift as part of their contract. But um, as GP practices, you don't have that funding yet. And GPC England is negotiating on your behalf to try and ensure that funding does find its way through the contract to your practices. So you can genuinely pay your staff the 6%. But that remains pending. We shall see. Is there a timescale to this, Laura?
0: um i i don't think there is at the moment i think um yeah just going back on what you said what's was really unusual is the ddrb recommendations who usually just they just expand on doctors and dentists that's that's their job um but actually yeah in the press release it said all practice staff which is way beyond their remit normally but that is what the government said they published that you know public facing um so it's led to this confusion of actually gosh is that is that we mean Uh, and they haven't taken it down so you know that is what they meant but it's not affordable again thinking about the general practice model which again quite a lot of the public and other parts of the health system don't really get gp partners have to fund this out of one envelope they they themselves GP partners don't get a fixed wage so they're not getting a six percent uplift in fact they have to fund it for their staff and then take the pay cut that's subsequent to that which is deeply unfair and would actually quite bankrupt quite a few practices because that's quite a sizable difference in percentage so hence why the advice has been nationally don't don't do this because we actually don't quite know how it's going to pan out so that is why if you're sitting here as a salary GP listening to this thinking, my perhaps i passed it on, is because they've been giving the advice, just wait while everybody else nationally sorts out exactly what they meant and how they're going to fund it and on what they therefore can be afforded to be passed on. So um it's a it's a hold your horses at the moment
1: on this. Yeah, GPC England hope their negotiations uh, will be complete by the end of September. I think we're recording this on the 26th of September. Yeah. So we wait with bated breath. We're I think hoping, that's fair to say. We hoping. hope very live. Nice. watch this space again. <laughs> it means all of our um, newsletters will perhaps carry the, the, the final outcomes for several of these things. <laughs> um, and another contentious matter, Laura, Inclisiran.
0: Absolutely. So another live one that we, we've watched sort of ping pong happening with. So Inclisirin is this drug uh, for cholesterol, for lipid management that's that's come out. It's an injectable, so it's given in quite a different way to so our other um, lipid management uh, drugs that are available. It's come out in, it's fair to say, a very unusual way. It's a black triangle drug, so it's a new drug um, that's come out and it's come straight into primary care, uh, which we've never really seen before Um, usually things go via secondary care kind of rolled out gently and and kind of make their way into primary care uh, and and then come through and this has been pushed out in a very unusual way. Um, And uh, we've come out quite strongly on this as an LMC in terms of the associated workload because it's quite different. You know, this is taking up definite appointments in terms of it being administered. Um, So we think this is above and beyond the GMS contract. We signed a, a, a letter with all of the other uh, LMCs, Costa Southwest, who we have a regional association with, all stating that actually th- this is it may be very honourable, but actually first things first, it needs to be resourced that we can, we've got workforce that are able to to do this and time to be able to do this. There are some other questions of, of thinking around clinically whether you want to prescribe this drug for your patients. And um, there's a great uh, blog that you can have a look at from MB Medical that has covered this in a bit of detail. Um, and we, as I said, have got a Web page which states our position, but also goes into this a little bit on our website. Just type in around and Wessex LMC's and you can see that. So this is like NHS England's return volley to the um hesitancy shall we say of, of what's out there at the moment and they are trying to be in this they've re- released a briefing notes and they've tried to be really reassuring in this so they're saying actually there is more evidence that's literally just been released at a big conference at the end of august saying actually there's more safety data and now we've got six years of patient safety data here um i think uh, again reading that you know <laughs> it's interesting for this drug, they know that it reduces part of the cholesterol. What they don't know and what they've got no evidence for at all is that it actually translates into clinical outcomes. Um, So I think, again, like if you stand back, you know, two is it a two plus two? Like, we don't know. It should equal four. But is it that straightforward with these drugs? And that's a really difficult question to and answer.
1: I, I think most GPs feel they've been there before with lots of medications. They're rolled out rapidly. and Then the evidence falls later. And, and suddenly we have yeah. to roll back patient's care and treatment. Yeah. And that's really frustrating. So really um, I think what's clear for Same. me, one of the biggest messages is this is not part of core general practice. Yeah. And we're very clear on that. That's got to be our headline with this drug.
0: I think so so there's two sort of things to to happen here one is the clinical and one is the resource um and yeah just you know to draw your attention to the resource people are thinking well that's not much out there at the moment this is fine if you get offered something by your icb to, to to wrap it up into um just think about future workloads because at the moment as i said because of our quite strong position i don't think there's a lot of prescribing going on either in primary care or in secondary care um but there is definitely Kind of appetite uh, for 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 this, they're saying people who don't take statins very well, as in sort of adherence to them, uh, this might be something that they move on to. There are between seven and eight million adults in the UK who take uh, statins, and in NHS England's own briefing note, they say fifty percent of them don't take them very well. So, uh, if fifty percent of those patients, four million, transfer over to general practice wanting this drug with its two yearly or sorry six six monthly, twice a year injection. That is, that is a significant amount of appointments that those patients will need. So yeah, With the um, monitoring that goes with on. it. And the monitoring and any side effects they have have to be reported and uh, all sorts of stuff. So just keep your eyes open on that one and um, have a think carefully as a practice what, what you want to do. Um, so moving on uh, from uh, from something that's possibly got us hot under the collar to something about cold. Uh, will, t- talk to us about warms.
1: So EcoFlex forms are are, are a form that GPs may be asked to sign. And uh, um, these are forms that local authorities um, will be producing on behalf of patients when a patient has applied for support, when they're living in fuel poverty or on a low income or are vulnerable to the effects of living in a cold home and GPs may be asked to consider providing evidence or signing a form on behalf of a patient and we just wanted to highlight this to um, GP, GPs and their practices that actually this isn't again part of your contract but Laura and I discussed this earlier we both felt that this was slightly conflicted because these are some of the most vulnerable in our society difficult to charge anybody for this and it's certainly not the patients. So that's fair to say.
0: Is, yeah, it puts. I think again, it puts GPs in a really difficult corner, doesn't it? Of saying this is this is something that allows your patient to access some funding, but no one's funding your time to help them to access it. So it seems really unfair because uh, I'm sure everybody in the local authority is getting paid in order to process the form. So it seems um, unfair that people are asked to provide evidence are supposed to just sort of find extra time to do it. And um, I think what we were saying, though, uh, we're reading certainly an example of a form from a council. Is it talks about providing the patient providing evidence evidence, evidence that we're saying actually you know again perhaps this can be signposted by your reception they could get this off the NHS app they need to prove that they've got a cardiovascular or respiratory condition for example um, and uh, they could find that on the NHS app or they could potentially have any letter from secondary care or any letter that's stated this in the past they're getting invited for their check with you around that all of that kind of stuff I think would count as evidence so um, and then you know you wouldn't have to charge for that so guiding people towards the NHS app may be uh, the
1: way out of this one. So, right, Absolutely, okay. that's good. It's, that's a good one. So I'm going to move on to DVLA yeah. forms. Now, this was of interest to me as a GP for quite a long time, used to completing DVLA medical forms um, on behalf of patients and charging them for it. So it's, an, again, a non-GMS or non-PMS service, um, but that the um, signing of these forms is not within the scope of the clinical negligence scheme for general practice. So commonly known as CNSGP, which is our government funded funded medical negligence scheme. And so it's very important that GPs ensure that their other private indemnity organisation, for example, the MDU, MBP, uh, MPS, um, do cover them for this private work. So I think the simple ask here is check with your own private indemnity organisation that they cover the completion of DVLA and medical forms. Simple, but very important to check.
0: OK, thanks, Will. And then moving on to a GP direct access to cancer diagnostic services. There's been some guidance published around that. What, what do we need to know out of that? What does it say? Um,
1: yeah, I feel like we're entering the quick fire round of this review of our of our of our letter, um, trying to keep things as, as brief as we can to, to keep you here. So this is a new process by which GPs will be able to access increased diagnostics. And I, I suspect most of us go, oh, heavens, not more ability to get more tests, which keep more work in general practice. Well, this is all to do with us being Uh, ensuring that our country is best able to diagnose cancers at the earliest opportunities. And um, the government and NHS England are commissioning community diagnostic centres, which will allow GPs to access increased diagnostics, including more ultrasounds, more x-rays, but importantly, more access to CT scans and MRIs alongside that. Um, And we hope that hubs will allow general practice to uh, detect Abnormalities in patients that don't present with two-week wake criteria symptoms, but have concerning features that do require investigation. It'll speed up, therefore, diagnosis rates or reassurance rates. Um, I think importantly, though, is it's the, the key will be in the detail, the devil will be in the detail here, is um, how are patients going to access it, how are GPs going to refer into the service, and what's going to happen to the results once they've been found because they'll all end up in our inboxes
0: yeah and what about all those unexpected findings yeah, because uh, I've had a lot of CT scans and there's always a because oh, the radiologists are very good they know lots of things so we might yeah. ask one question we get a different answer within a, a kind well, of importantly, appendix
1: <laughs> importantly you so say we ask a question so the ask of general practice is we will be asked what is the specific question for which you're seeking an answer and the radiologist will have to um, provide an unambiguous answer to that question um, so that's the first part of it. Secondly, however, there are going to be findings which um, we were not expecting, and there will need to be pathways commissioned into the service that allows those um, uh, unexpected findings to find their way into the appropriate specialities and clinics. They should not just come directly back to the GP and go, What do you've? what do you think of this abnormal finding on a CT brain where you probably don't understand what it means or you may well do, but you've only come across it once in your entire career. And we don't know how
0: urgent it needs to be seen or any of that. So I think, again, just to to reiterate that, uh, we have eyes on this and have done for some time locally. And again, we're representing you in that group. I say we will, at Billis, do this. (laughs) And, um, And we are trying to cite that group on the fact that there is often this extra kind of unforeseen workload that comes out and those unexpected results absolutely need to not come near near GPs that workload needs to be taken to a specialist who can actually interpret that Um, and would it would normally form part of their uh, sort of work um, and their ability to interpret those parts of scans so we are absolutely trying to keep uh, that extra workload away from you. Um, talking about extra workloads and sort of public awareness of that, and um, apparently there is an NHS England GP access campaign trying to explain things, uh, help us, help you. Have uh, you heard about that? Well.
1: No, I, I haven't at all. And, and this was a surprise to us when we read our own newsletter. And um, this this was something that came through GPC England um, to support general practice and NHS England's GP access campaign. I think maybe we should um, ask our members to let us know if they've seen it um, yeah, rather absolutely. than us tell you about it. So I think, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that's one one to keep an eye open for. And perhaps if you are asked to put it up on your walls, put it into your, onto your websites by NHS England, um, I suspect once we've had a look at it, we might advise that would be a wise move
0: yeah so I think it's looking to support MDT working which is where we're trying to go and we've been calling for for a really long time that they need to explain it to the public um so, uh, And that brings us on to um, some uh, podcasts that we've got, um, which, again, is about helping us help you, which is the LMC instead, though, rather than NHS England. Um, so I did a podcast uh, recently with uh, Dr Carter and Dr Hodgkiss. They are uh, both GP partners uh, who uh, did some project work looking at uh, trying to improve things in their practice um, and looking That was for both patients and for their workforce. And um, I think it's fair to say it was about kind of trying to slow the hamster wheel down. Down actually, again, both in places where the hamster wheel was going really fast, trying to keep up with patient demands and patient needs, and actually they they took back control, tried to slow everything down, um, and this fits with our safer working uh, from the BMA that we've been encouraging people to do, where actually we need to we need to slow that hamster wheel down. We cannot keep up with patient demand just by working harder and harder and harder and harder, um, and so they did that, and actually they reflect on what happens, and actually really good outcomes. So. Fit feels lots of anxiety about doing it. And I'm sure lots of practices do feel that, but actually these guys have done it, two different practices, Both had really good outcomes for the morale of their workforce, which meant it became an upward spiral of retaining their workforce and they've got a happy workforce, but actually for the patients as well in terms of patients uh, getting seen and having quality service. Um, So do listen to that podcast to hear a bit more um, and hopefully that will inspire you if you're feeling that your practice isn't in the place that you want it to be, that there are changes that you can make that make a real difference um from one good news story to another do you want to just touch on bma membership well
1: yeah so this is free bma membership for international doctors which is definitely a wise move by the bma and we would absolutely support this recognizing the vital contribution that contribution that international colleagues make to our health service, the BMA is offering free BMA membership to international doctors for their first year in the UK, and the second year is going to be at a reduced rate, and then the third uh, year um, will be going up to more normal rates. So I think it's a good news story, and it's to encourage um, Um, all of representative GPs to ensure that their um, voices are heard in the BMA and that they can all be represented in the family that the BMA represents of general practice.
0: Um, and then lastly, we've just got a couple of things we want to bring to your attention. So the LMC Buying Group, uh, is just a reminder that that can help you access discounts for your practice on a wide range of things. Uh, so do familiarise yourself with that. Uh, that can help, again, balance the books for you. Um, and then we're just highlighting a few things we've got coming up. So if you need your uh, safeguarding topping up, we've got a Fundamentals of Child Safeguarding Level 3 coming up on Wednesday, the 11th of October. And um, I will be facilitating that uh, with Wendy Thorogood. So I'd be delighted to see you there. Um, and secondly, we've got risk assessment senior managers. So again, senior managers get asked to risk, risk assess all sorts of things. Uh, so this is particularly around health and safety advice and health and safety risk assessment um, in and around your GP practice, PCN, medical centre or other primary care setting um so uh, again hoping to help you uh, with that uh, so that's on thursday the 2nd of november uh, for both of those just pop onto our website uh, and go into the education and events section and you will find them there and that brings us to the end of our newsletter so we hope that you found that helpful um and uh, we look forward to doing it again soon and uh, we hope you'll join us again thank you so much have a great week everybody Bye.